for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'd like to welcome you guys again. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. I have, I have spent the last six weeks, to the best, well, five weeks, to the best of my ability, uh, trying to show you what our future is going to look like, trying to give you a mental picture of what our future is going to look like, the work that God started to do within me about a year and a half ago, and then also the work that God has started to do with people in leadership that are here and also people that are not in leadership. We have talked about some very important core values that will have a lot to do with strategically the direction that we go. We've also talked most importantly about our mission, which is to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. That's what we are going to be about. And in week one of our vision discussion, I know this feels like a million years ago, so I apologize about that. A lot's happened since then. But in week one of our vision discussion, I mentioned a conversation that I had with the lead pastor of a church in Georgia, Mosaic Church. Her name is Carolyn Moore. It's in, it's in Evans, Georgia. At that time, before moving back to East Tennessee, I was contemplating going into the United Methodist denomination and looking at a few different things, but I was talking to her about some things, and because of some theological differences, it looks like the United Methodist Church could very potentially split probably sometime this year. So I was talking to her about one of those denominations that was going to, to split off of that called the Wesleyan Covenant Association. And I talked to her on the phone, listened to her thoughts. Uh, she is an individual that, that is very wise that I was able to get a lot of information from. But I also mentioned that my questions that I had for her were very me-centered. All right, they were really about my future. Okay, so when I move back to Tennessee, when my family moves back to Tennessee, what is this going to look like? What is that going to look like? How is this ultimately going to, how is this new denomination going to take care of my family? Those were the kinds of things that I asked asked. And I told you that she said something to me, if you were here that first Sunday, that really struck me and has stood with me and will stand with me for the rest of my life as far as how I look at this particular topic. But she said, Matt, I have to say, the kinds of questions that you're asking are really questions that are more consumer, um, I'm sorry, um, not consumer-oriented, but more, uh, yeah, consumer-oriented, we're looking for investors, all right? She said, you sound a lot like a consumer, and we are really looking for investors. So the question that I have for you today that I really want you to think about as we have taken this time to talk about the importance of mission and vision as we've laid out these core values, as we've talked about these things as not just something that you might put on a wall or something that you might put on a website or something that you might talk about, but actually how we're going to accomplish these things and how it's not only going to change and shift the culture here within our church, but also within our region, the question is, are you a consumer or are you an investor? So today I'm not really introducing anything new because I feel like we've already talked about all of it. 
But what we're going to do really is, is, is get down to the bare bones of what does it mean to be an investor as we look at the future of our church. So really, there's only one thing that I want to talk about today to finish this series out. What does this kind of investment look like? Or just in a general sense, what does mission-oriented investment look like for the people of God, for people who are really bought in? Because, you know, there have been people that have reached out to me, and, and several people, whenever we didn't meet last Sunday, uh, people will send me a message. You know, I really like your all's uh, mission statement. I really like the direction that you're going. It seems that you are really authentically trying to be what the church was initially supposed to be. And that, that's all nice. Like, I, I do appreciate that. But the question is, are, does that still place you into the category of a consumer, or does that place you into the category in which you are willing and ready to make a true investment? Because the truth is, at the end of the day, that a lead pastor or a leadership team, it was never supposed to be that way. They weren't supposed to be the only ones that were invested. The body of Christ was supposed to be ready to invest, and this shakes up everyone's lives. So I'm going to be in, in 1 Corinthians just briefly today, and also 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Just a few verses that I want to look at today that are surrounded uh, around this idea of mission. All right, so one of Paul's most well-known New Testament investments is what we call the Jerusalem Collection. Now, you may not be familiar with the Jerusalem Collection. It's, it's, it's very common for believers not to be very familiar with what this is. There's a lot of conflicting scholarship and a lot of conf, uh, conflicting viewpoints about why the Jerusalem Collection actually took place. But one thing is certain Paul is collecting, and when I say collecting, I mean, in this case, collecting money, because he is focused on fulfilling mission, very specifically. All right, so 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in the last chapter. It's chapter 16, and then in a second, we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you want to flip to one of those, you can. If you want to kind of be in both of those, you know, you can, or if you just want to follow on the screen... That's fine too, but this is 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and then the first four verses, all right? Concerning the collection of money for God's people, you should do what I have directed the churches in Galatia to do. He's referring to mission. On the first day of the week, each of you, not some of you, each of you should set aside whatever you can afford from what you earn so that the collection won't be delayed until I come. Then when I get there, I'll send whomever you approve to Jerusalem with letters of recommendation to bring your gift. If it seems right for me to go to, they'll travel with me. All right, so that's the first part that I want you to see. Now, we'll flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to look at five verses there that are related to this same collection. Starting in verse 1, brothers and sisters, we want to let you know about the grace of God that was given to the churches in Macedonia. This work, this amazing work that is going to be going on in this area. While they were being tested by many problems, their extra amount of happiness and their extreme poverty resulted in a surplus of rich generosity. 
I assure you that they gave what they could afford and that even more than they could afford, and they did so voluntarily. They urgently begged us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the saints. They even exceeded our expectations because they gave themselves to the Lord first and to us consistent with God's will. So the practice of collecting money at a Christian worship service is almost as old as Christianity itself. Within a few decades of Jesus' death, the Apostle Paul initiates this collection, the Jerusalem connection, collection, as money for communities that he visited that were impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. So why is this money actually being collected? It's being collected for other brothers and sisters in the faith that are struggling at that time. All right, so this is one of many ways that Paul infused the importance of giving to mission within the local church. Now, let me mention, there are a lot of different ways that you can give to the local church. It's not just money, but it's also you hear time, talents, and treasures. But the problem that I have sometimes is that some people just want to give of their treasures, but they don't want to serve in the church. And some, because they feel like, I've sent my check, I've done my part, that's enough. You have other people who want to serve, and they see that as giving, uh, not having to give their treasures. All right? And all of these are very important. So some of you may feel uncomfortable when pastors talk about money. All right? And let me just say, as a preface, if it is your first time here today, I don't talk about money every Sunday. Please don't be turned off by that, all right? And you may think it's uncomfortable. Well, well let me let's let you in on something. It's uncomfortable for us too, all right? We don't think, you know what? I can't wait until I get to give that money message and just set them straight. This is very much, just so that you guys know, like an awkward first date, all right? But we're just going to go ahead and go into it because Jesus talks about money very often, all right? Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about faith and prayer combined. 28% of the recorded conversations of Jesus, over a quarter of the conversations that Jesus had, were about money. 11 of 29 parables that he taught are about money. Now, can you imagine if I talked about money as often as Jesus did, this would mean that I preached on money at least once a month. You guys would run me out of town or people would leave. But Jesus thought it was very important because he understood, as he talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, that this is often where our treasure is. All right, but Paul does share two important points that we need to see. All right, as givers or as people that are considering investing, these churches are giving. All right, all these local churches that are giving to the Jerusalem collection are giving as a priority, and then they are also giving voluntarily. All right, 
So when you understand investment, and I'm not just talking about investment in the kingdom of God. We could be talking about investment in your child's education. We could be talking about investment in, in, in something that you see growing into the future and you want to be a part of. When we do this, we give as priority, all right? It's something important when I'm calculating my bills as I do on the, at the end of the month and then around the 15th of the month and set up my budget all into its neat little lines. All right, what I give to the church is that there's no compromise. It's just something that I'm going to do. So with priority, and this is what our passage tells us, they gave to the Lord first, all right, consistent with God's will, and they gave on the first day of the week. This is in the Torah, all right, the New Testament, first five books, the law. They are giving of their first fruits. That's more often than anything else, the way that it's explained. But they're also giving voluntarily. You're not having to force them to give. You're not having to twist their arm to give. They recognize that there are problems with some of the Christians in the early church that are going without. Paul says we need to meet this need. And in the ancient world, they're grabbing the checkbook and saying, what do you need? What are the needs that we must meet so that the mission can be accomplished? So voluntarily, they are giving what they can and above, the passage tells us, and in surplus of rich generosity. But here's the question. Why? Why are they giving? Are they giving because it was instilled in their values whenever they were a kid? My mom and dad used to give me an envelope. It was green from Hunter First Baptist Church. I put a little quarter in it. All right, when I put that little quarter in it, I would, I would turn it into the offering plate. So as someone that grew up in church, it was just infused into my DNA as it was some of yours. Well, it's something that you give. That's not why they're giving. Are they giving to keep the lights on? No, there were no lights. But they weren't giving in that way. Were they giving so that the band could have the best equipment? Were they giving uh, to keep the heat on or to make sure that the rent was paid? No. They were giving because they believed in the mission. That's why they were investing. And that's why they were giving. So what I'm asking you guys, as we look at the future of our church, as we look into 2021, but then we also look further than that, five years down, ten years down, next generation thinking, are we truly investing in the mission? And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. And here's a simple and straightforward reality for us today. Investors invest. They believe in helping broken people become devoted followers to Jesus. They invest. And consumers consume. Investors invest. And consumers consume. And the unfortunate reality of the majority of churches is that in a small church, you may have three to five families 
that keep everything going. Or in a larger church, you might have 35 to 40 givers that keep everything going. It's the same way with people serving. A lot of times about 10% of the church actually keeps the wheels turning. But we need more and more and more people that are willing to invest in mission. And this is the critical thing that I want you guys to understand. Again, last six weeks we've talked about it. I have, to the best of my ability, as a communicator, laid out the future that we have in store, that God has spoken to me about and the direction that we are supposed to go. So we are asking for investments. All of this, or I say all of this, because this month, what we are doing, and this really starts next week, and I'll kind of segue into this. We'll not talk about money anymore for just a second, all right? But we'll, we'll kind of segue into this, uh, what we talked about in the announcements, and that this new level of commitment, or this new level of investment that we are calling, and this is in our bylaws and constitution, the vowed community. All right, so what you do on your part, if you are a member of Believer's Church, and when I say a member, I don't mean someone that just comes to Believer's Church. I mean a documented member on the books of this church. You're not going to lose that. Okay, that's not going to just go away. But I want to encourage each of you that are part of that as well as everyone else to go through these two classes that we are going to introduce. The first one is BC Basics. The second one is BC Become. And that has a little bit more, more to do, that second one, with what it actually means to be a part of this vowed community. This vowed community is the highest level of investment that you can make at Believer's Church. So, the first part, basics, when is this offered? We've already mentioned the dates. It's going to be offered next Sunday, February the 21st, all right, right after service. And this is really just an introduction to the, it's a lot like the vision series, but it goes a little bit further into beliefs, ministries, everything that we're about. And if you decide a little bit later in May that you want to take the other class, which that one's also offered in April, but later if you decide that you want to take the one on May the 16th, you can then make the decision. I want to make the commitment. With these vows, I want to be part of the vowed community. Or this is not something that I feel to be uh, called to invest in. There are several vows that people will take. All right, and this will all be shared in part two. And uh, the vows are in step with our mission and our vision and the direction that we are going. And I, I am saying this from the bottom of my heart with all seriousness. And I don't know if I would have said this five years ago. But for me, members of the vowed community and members that are all in and fully focused on making, helping broken people become devoted followers of Jesus, I would rather us have 10 committed, sold-out disciples than 10,000 religious consumers. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart because I have been in multiple scenarios where you're around the 
deeply, deeply enthusiastic, motivated people to do all of these things. But whenever it comes down to the deepest level of commitment to mission, it's like moving day. Nobody shows up. You know how your friends work on moving day? Sure, I'll be there. It's like nobody shows up. Jesus completely transformed the world with 12 disciples. So my heart and my desire is that more and more people care about formation and community and servanthood and multiplication and all of these things that we've talked about in line with the New Testament church with a desire to change this region. But this is not something uh, that is going to be forced on you, of course. So returning to week one, all right, my conversation with Carolyn Moore, she said, Matt, the questions that you are asking are more consumer questions. And we are actually looking for investors. I had no idea that that conversation that many months ago, now over a year ago, would actually play into what we're talking about here. But let me be clear. We are serious, prayerfully serious about mission and about what God can and what God will do, not just in Boone's Creek, but in Elizabethan and in Blountville and in Kingsport or Jonesboro or wherever God is calling us to continue to make disciples. Would it not be incredible to be fully invested in that? Something struck me as I was, as I was putting this last message together, which I can tell is your favorite. But as I was putting this together, I was thinking about our mission statement to help broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you what is the primary word that you hear or focus on or that I talk about whenever we talk about this mission statement, most of you would probably say broken. All right? Because that's where people and when people are really hurting. That's when the spirit is really, the, the, the soil is fertile for the spirit to work in a person's life when unfortunately they're going through that horrible breakup. When unfortunately they've relapsed for the fourth time. When unfortunately they've just been laid off or lost their job. We tend to think about broken. And even in a minute, whenever we do communion, I'm going to focus again on the importance of this word broken. But I want to take the focus away from that for just a second and focus on the word devoted. I want you to hear me out. It's great to help broken people get in church. It's great to help broken people get saved, baptized, but then only to follow Jesus for a short period of time. Each one of us in here, even though we may have not fallen into one of the categories that was just addressed, 
we know Christ because we came from a place of brokenness. At least if you accepted Christ whenever you were a teenager or older. Or maybe if you haven't accepted Christ yet and you recognize this is definitely the missing piece in my life. But the question is, whenever you take this broken person that says they are willing and ready to surrender and turn everything over, the devotion part takes work. And it takes a lot of work. How many times before I was here did you guys talk as a church family about, well, so-and-so's not coming anymore, or she used to be so committed. He was so involved in everything that we do. We are not looking to simply convert people. We are not looking simply to dunk someone underwater. We are looking to make, make through formation, community, servanthood, and multiplication, devoted, lifetime. I am literally stepping out of this world and into eternity as a follower of Jesus, not as a person that remembers a card I filled out in a Baptist church 35 years ago. Every single day. Investment. Investment. And investment, I can promise you, is going to cost you. It is going to cost you, but I can tell you that the benefit is worth it thousandfold. So, we finished up our first message the same way that we're going to finish up part six. Who are the four types of people that are in the room right now? All right? Who are the four types of people that are listening right now um, online or will listen to the podcast later? First, you have what we could call consumer outsiders. All right, these are individuals, they may visit the church occasionally. Maybe if you're here today and it's your first time that you've ever been here, uh, you would fall into this category, maybe. Uh, maybe it's people that are here uh, very often, and, and I've often even said that this is, this is sometimes people who are not even quite sure if they believe in God yet. You know, So they're kind of consuming or taking in some of the content from the outside, all right? Now, the second group that you have, and this is a little bit more common for people who might be here a little bit more regularly, are what we would call consumer observers, all right? You, you, you are here sometimes, you, you watch things happen, you do share a lot of the same views and values, you hear the mission statement, the vision to create environments where the kingdom of God is visible and contagious, you hear the core values and you say, you know what? This is a little bit different. I think I like this. But you're still, it, it's still observation instead of investment. Now, after ob uh, observation, we have participations. We have some partial participants. And that would be the third category. These individuals may serve. They may, they may give a little bit here and there. They've maybe uh, dabbled with attending community groups. There's some other things. But for whatever reason, maybe fear, maybe uncertainty, maybe I don't know exactly what this is going to cost me, maybe I've been so damaged in the past that I'm afraid to step back in in this way, they are still partial participants. And then we have what we are seeking, and that, are, that is investors, people that are all in, servants, 
givers, people that want to grow in community group discipleship, people that want to serve on our venture teams that work within the community to be the hands and feet of Jesus, people who see the importance of not just having a wonderful church family in Boone's Creek, but the need and the desire to multiply disciples. This is what an investor looks like. Now, some of you, as I said in the first message, part one, some of you have already made up your mind. Like you're not going to invest. All right, you're just not ready. You're not there. You're not completely on board. You're not sure about this. You, you, you want to keep your treasures for now. You feel like because you're doing this or because you're doing that, you're doing enough. Whatever that might look like, okay? So I, I know I can't reach you. God can, but I know that I can't. But for some of you who are kind of on the fence, serving, giving, making disciples, wanting to learn more, wanting to grow more, what I'm asking you to do, or at least faithfully pray about, is to become an investor in 2021. And please understand this, I'm not talking about something that is just good for Believer's Church. That is just good for this location right here. I'm talking about something, and this may not happen in my generation. I may just be one of the, one of the people like some of you that had the opportunity to lay the groundwork of a beautiful and amazing movement of God. But I would love to know, looking back one day in glory, one day in heaven, that I was part, even if it was a small part, of that initial investment that completely transformed and changed Northeast Tennessee that would then turn into a ripple effect we make such a mistake when we limit the power of God. We make such a mistake whenever we sit in our chairs right now and say, God can't do that. I can promise you this, if there's anything that I can say. God did not call me to East Tennessee through all of the darkness, struggles, wilderness, and difficulty that I came here for. To pastor a dead church that does nothing. God is calling us to transform lives. God is calling us to bring about change. So what is it that investment looks like? What does it really, really look like whenever we make the decision to buy in? First, you understand the mission and the vision. And I think some of you are really getting there. Some of you, I know know are there because you're saying more to me right now about the vision than I'm saying to you. All right, some of you are very enthusiastic. You're very excited about the work that God is doing and is going to continue to do. So you understand that, but then also you live the mission and the vision. You see, it's not enough just to have the knowledge up here, but you are willing to walk in to that mission and vision. What does that mean? It means in your own life, you recognize the least of these 
It means you value, support, and attend community groups. It means that you're pouring in. It also means that you give. And when I talk about give, I do mean give of yourself in every way. Serving. Financially. Participating and backing up the reputation of your church. So am I challenging you to do those things? Absolutely. It's time for some of you. And some of you are being told, I believe, that you need to make a greater investment. As we saw with the Jerusalem, Jerusalem collection, some gave beyond what they had. But also, fourth, you recognize that it's not about you. It's not about you. The world does not revolve around you any more than it revolves around me. I told you guys last week, even though I, it was from a, a video, that I do not want people to fall in love with our church. Oh, it's a wonderful place. The people are so kind. All those things are wonderful. I do want that to a great degree. But my prayer and what God has given me is that people fall in love with our mission. Because I believe that if this earth is still standing in 150 years when none of us are here, that if an original investment begins in this room today, that there will be a teenage boy or a teenage girl and you ask them what their life is about and they're going to say it's about helping broken people become devoted followers of Jesus. Well, why? Because someone reached out to my dad who was an addict, who wasn't working, who had generational divorce in his family for the last five generations, and they shared Jesus. And whenever they shared Jesus, it transformed and changed and ended that generational curse. Long after the people in this room are gone. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you uh, today lifting you up and praising you, thanking you for your goodness, uh, thanking you for uh, the gifts that you've, you've instilled into the individuals that are in this room, Father. Knowing, God, that, that we, we may not be uh, wealthy, we may in some areas not be the most educated or the most intelligent, we may feel as if we don't have all of the things that a lot of churches have. But Father, whenever we have a heart for mission, and whenever we have a heart for the Great Commission and seeing others come to know you, we have absolutely everything that we need. And Father, it's in those moments that the power of God rests upon his people. Father, I pray that you, you stir our hearts Father, you help us to consider other areas of our lives that we are investing in. And the truth is, if we're honest, some of these investments amount to nothing. Father, help us to be completely sold out to the mission 
the vision, the values that you have given us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.